Hey, I'm Nick. I'm Leonard. And we're here to take you through a weekly deep dive into the Rebel, Rebel News, News Network. Network. The Rebel News Network is an alt-right media source here in Canada that is bringing misinformation and spreading bad ideas throughout the land. Our job is to look at what they're saying, decipher it, and try to make sense of it. Well, Leonard, here we are. Episode two. How do you feel? Episode two. Yeah, feeling pretty good. Uh, had to adjust to listening to myself speak. Um, <laughs> <laughs> made me a little bit more self-aware. So uh, took some notes and we'll move on. But we wow. both have a lot of work to do. Sure. I spent hours and hours of my life editing out you knows, ums, yeah. <laughs> on both ends of uh, the microphone here. So, and there's going to be more of those. I mean, we're novices at this, and it's only up from episode one. There's only only room for improvement. That's right. <laughs> so we we've got more. We've got a little bit more knowledge kind of laid out in front of us. I I have a better grasp on what exactly I want to say. And I've also podcasted with my previous job. I ran a podcast for the company. I hosted it and I got past these things like, you know, pause points, like saying, you know, <laughs> like I just did, but it just is a natural place to kind of hold yourself for a minute and move on. So yeah, we're going to work along, on that. It's along the same lines as like, listen, or you know, <laughs> any of those filler were kind of words. Um, it, it's a, it, you pause for a second while you regain your thoughts and then you move forward. Right. Yeah. It's, it's kind of what the, what, what that serves is what the purpose that that serves. Exactly. So outside of listening to yourself on the podcast, uh, what's been happening in the week, Leonard, what's going on? Ooh. Yeah. You know, just like, <laughs> there just it like, is. there it is. <laughs> We're going to have to get like a jar, a, you know, jar. Every time you say it, you put a, loony or something like that in there anyway it's been like every other week over the past four years it's just filled with events like i don't think there's been a week yet where there's been anything quiet so big thing of course joe biden was inaugurated as the 46th president of the united states pretty awesome <laughs> i was uh, very excited to see that there was no further terror attacks on the capital on the 20th yeah i was very nervous about that yeah yeah i was i was watching the live coverage pretty closely I, I had it on the tv pretty uh pretty much all day just just to see if anything would happen and plus to be honest i'm a gigantic uh government and government apparatus nerd. I, I just love watching those kind of ceremonies and just seeing the the transfer of power and, and, and just, I don't know, just the majesty of it. I just love it. Um, watching oh. changing of the guard stuff at the Parliament Hill when I was like super little was like Christmas morning to me. I just love it. I love those kind of ceremonies, um, especially when it comes to like government operations and stuff like that. I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> I, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm on the kind of opposite end of the political spectrum. I'm into policy, lawmaking, uh, regulation. I like that part of government. I like understanding it, knowing it. 
Uh, it's what I went to school for. Uh, it's really something that I've enjoyed a lot, but the ceremonial part of it and the functioning of it and the procedural part of it is just so boring to me. I love it. See, I love it all. I love the policy. I love the law part. I just love analyzing it. Um, but just the entire package I love. Um, and we'll get back to government, uh, uh, get back to government goings on in a minute. Um, but you know, who was not happy about the, uh, Joe Biden swearing in Donald Trump. Well, I'm sure he was not happy, but there was one more person. Maybe not so Jason, notable. Jason Kenney. Jason Kenney. Oh Jason my Kenney. God, this guy. Jason Kenney. Have yeah, you have um, you been keeping up with the, the Keystone XL stuff? Following it closely. Oh, so man, can you give us maybe for anyone little... who's listening who doesn't know who Jason Kenney is, he is the premier of Alberta. He's the leader of the United Conservative Party in Alberta. And um He's doing everything he can to destroy Alberta. So uh, they've doubled, tripled, quadrupled down on oil in Alberta. It is an oil producing province. That is its economic engine. Uh, They think it's the economic engine of Canada. I don't really agree with that. It's not insignificant, but it's not the be all end all like they think it is. And they're just putting all of their eggs in that basket, even when the writing is clearly on the wall. So what mm-hmm. happened was Jason Kenney and the UCP, they uh, pledged uh, $1.5 billion in funds guaranteed to TransCanada Energy to build the Keystone XL pipeline. They also pledged a $6 billion guaranteed government loan to TransCanada for this pipeline. And they Wait, did how this- much? Six billion dollars for the loan and 1.5 billion dollars for the gift, corporate welfare, because you know TransCanada Energy needs the money. They're well, pretty hurting. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so seven and a half billion dollars committed from the Alberta government to give you an idea, the Alberta annual budget is runs I think somewhere around fifty to sixty billion dollars. So almost 20% of a provincial annual budget dedicated to corporate welfare for the building of the Keystone XL pipeline, which is a pipeline that would take oil from Alberta all the way through the U.S. and down into Texas for refining. So the, the which is a long way. This is, it's a long way. That's a and huge a decent pipeline. chunk of this pipeline area is built already in the U.S., The problem is, is that there's some issues with the Paris Accord, um, committing long-term infrastructure building to oil, which shows a lack of commitment in alternative energy sources, which is something the Biden administration wants to get away from. Um, and, And so it's not something that was a good bet. It wasn't a good gamble to make. Trans Canada Energy would not have made that gamble without the corporate welfare which goes against conservative ideas of a free market because they wouldn't have done that on their own only if they have public funds to do it with. But also they did this knowing that Joe Biden had declared he will cancel the Keystone XL pipeline immediately 
what if he becomes the president okay so what does he do day one he cancels the keystone xl pipeline yeah. project i want to make something very clear though before he ever did that and before it got to that point while trump was still in power they already were facing legal troubles with the keystone xl pipeline in montana the first state that they needed to get through to build this pipeline was already holding them up and they had already denied the permits to work on the pipeline in montana so this isn't something that was just going to happen if trump won this was something that was already stalled in the courts joe biden formalized it and and just xed the whole thing yeah that's right hey like pre-covid there was a lot of coverage on the keystone xl like that this has been something that's been going on for for years and like you said like the the ucp know exactly kind of what's going on or at least i hope they know what's kind of going on uh they, they do like there's there's no way if you're an odds maker and, and a gambler mm-hmm. and you're looking at the keystone xl pipeline project and you say okay well the previous president barack obama had wanted nothing to do with this uh the federal government of canada isn't really ready to push on it because it's not a make or break deal for us there's there's bigger fish to fry yeah uh donald trump who's an unhinged maniac is in support of it, but the courts in Montana aren't. And the next president said he will definitively cancel it once he is in office and he's probably going to win. You wouldn't look at those odds and say, this is a bet I'm going to take. Unless you had a whole bunch of corporate welfare. And yeah, that I think is that's... what drives me crazy about this. I think that's just a larger caricature for what Alberta is. Like, for those who don't know about Alberta or Alberta politics, say for four years, the, the conservative party, whether it's progressive conservative or now the UPC or some conservative in some level has been in power for 40 years, well over 40 years now, except for a four year gap when the NDP were in power. And just their sheer refusal to, uh, even think about diversifying. I mean, Jason Kenney, to his credit, has now paid lip service to, div- to diversification. But he doesn't get credit for it. He doesn't diversify. get credit for it because the problem is, is that he doesn't actually care about diversifying. He will pay a little bit of lip service to try to muster up some investment. But the reality is, is he's sinking everything into oil and gas. Oh my God. And, and it just shows. And it's a bad decision after bad decision. I, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that Alberta should throw oil and gas out the window. No. It's a big part of their economy. It's a big part of what they do. It creates a lot of jobs in the province. It generates a lot of revenue for the province and the country. There's no yeah. doubt about it. What they have to do is make smart choices. They don't make bad choices. There's so much that could have been done with the 1.5 billion that was given to TransCanada Energy. It's also, we, we got to slow this down or we're going to be just talking about this for the next hour. But, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's important yeah, let's, to let's know that, that, that this, this handout came after we've seen cuts to education, cuts to teaching assistance, um, cuts to, to healthcare, cuts to frontline healthcare workers through a pandemic. 
all of these cuts have been happening at the government level so they can quote unquote balance the books, but then they're just happy to give out uh, guaranteed about 20% of an annual budget to an energy company based on a very poor business decision. Yeah. It's actual lunacy. It is. And I'll just end it maybe with this point. And on top of that, like on top of everything that you said, it's also the petulance of it all. Watching Jason Kenney this week on, on Power and Politics on CBC, on the West Block and a few other... Uh, on Fox News. On Fox yeah, News, on, Fox on News. top of that. God, I'm, I forgot about Fox News. So on top of all of that is the petulance, the huffing, the puffing, the stomping of the feet. Saying that the American government should be compensating TransCanada Energy yeah. for canceling the pipeline Come project. On. Like it's instead nuts. of coming up with something tangible, a working solution. No, everything else with that side of the fence, it's victim and blame and just pure petulance. That's where I'll stop that. Yeah, that's a good place to stop because I could rant about Jason Kenney all day. <laughs> uh, and, so, and that's just one of the big things. So the other big thing, you know, going back to our procedural parliamentary talk right at the top, is that Canada is now without a head of state. Our head of state uh, stepped down yesterday, resigned. Uh, Julie okay, Fayette. hold on a sec, Leonard. You know exactly what you're doing here. You're using this term head of state in a way that is going to mislead a number of no, people no, no, listening no, 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 to this no, no, podcast. No, no, no. Constitutionally, our governor general is our head of state. The prime minister is our head of government. Okay. But now, the, the uh, governor general is the uh, representative of our actual head of state, which is Queen Elizabeth II. Um, but in Canada, constitutionally, our governor general is our constitutional head of state. So basically, the governor general uh, signs laws into uh, what's called royal assent. So a law passes through the House of Commons, goes through the Senate, which is appointed, not elected, which is kind of a shitty thing, but goes through the Senate. Uh, once approved, goes to the governor general for royal assent. Now, I mean, the governor general will sign it um, usually 10 times out of 10. There's really no, that's more of a ceremonial rule. But where the governor general really comes into play is when it comes time, uh, sorry, when it comes time for uh, elections or if there's any parliamentary procedural things. Um, proroguing parliament is one example. Uh, Justin Trudeau, actually, and uh, Stephen Harper, both, respectively, prorogued Parliament during their terms in office, which means that basically it was suspended. And they actually have to ask permission. Uh, and the governor general is in full uh, authority to say no, that if you cannot govern, we're going to give the opposition a chance to form a government. If they can't form a government, then will have to dissolve parliament, election is called. Um, happened in BC uh, with the Clark minority government. Uh, that's how the NDP got into power with the Green parties was through that exact constitutional process. 
but we had a governor general who was just a giant bully. So in uh, the summer, I believe the summer of 2018 or, or maybe in, in 2019, I can't really uh, remember, uh, the CBC uh, reported that some staffers of hers had complained that she was bullying. So she was creating an unwork, unsafe work environment. Toxic work environment. Toxic work environment. Is, yeah. her, her and her chief of staff. Uh, I forget what her chief of staff's name is. Uh, anyway, so a 200-page report was just released. Uh, and the result of that was uh, the governor general's re, re, uh, resignation yesterday. Um, and our uh, chief justice of our Supreme Court now is our acting governor general. So the big scandal here is that how did prime minister, so this is a uh, primisterial, um, actually, that's a, that's a problematic word, hang on. That is a uh, governmental appointed position, basically. So uh, in 2015, when Justin Trudeau uh, won his first majority government, he uh, basically appointed, well, he did appoint uh, Julie Payette to be the governor general. And now the big thing is the vetting process. So she was let go from the Montreal Science Center. Uh, she was let go from an, um, the Canadian Olympic Committee, both for toxic works environments. So, so that just shows you right there that there, there's, there was a ball dropped maybe. Um, but now there's a big kind of debate going on about the governor general and what kind of their purpose is in the country. Like, do we actually need a governor general? I, you know, that's the debate, you know. Do we? I mean, I, 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 lean, I, towards, I lean towards no. I lean towards not really. I, I, I understand what you're saying with things like proroguing parliament and stuff, but it's not, it's not essential. The, the governor general is more ceremonial and more of a figurehead. Yes, technically they represent the queen who's the head of Canada, but the yeah. queen hasn't actually interfered in Canadian politics. And I don't even remember when. Yeah, nor, she, nor can she. I mean, that was signed away in 1937. There you go. Yeah. So it's not really something at this point, it's part of the ceremony of Canadian politics, which yeah. you like, and I think is totally ridiculous. I think South Park nailed it. When they were the prince and princess of Canada were getting married, and they're like, now uh, they stick their hand in the pudding yeah. <laughs> ceremony. It's part of tradition, and and that's exactly how I look at Canadian politics from a ceremonial sure. standpoint. Is I, I think it's just, I think it's kind of ridiculous. To be yeah, honest. we have a lot of holdoffs from, or yeah, holdouts from the old British system or the current British system to. Um, and the governor general is definitely one of them, but you look at basically every other, uh, democracy in the world, there's a head of state, a head of government, and then a judiciary. So we, there, there, there needs to be, in my opinion, something to replace it, whether it's an elected position. So whether we have, you know, we keep a governor general or we call it something else, you know, that's just a matter of semantics, whether we have a chancellor or a president or a, uh, you know, supervisor, who the hell knows. Um, but I think there needs to be the check on, you know, the prime minister and parliament. There, I think there needs to be a kind of a separation there. 
but that's the fair thing. enough. Yeah, that's fair enough. For debate I, there. I see what you're saying. Uh, I think that the governing general role as it exists doesn't need to be there, but I, sh- yeah. I I don't disagree that we could replace it with something else or we could do something better. Yeah. That seems like something that could definitely be part of the future of Canada. And, and that's been a conversation that's been happening in Canada for generations about that. So I don't think that argument will be solved anytime soon. Well, on the subject of heads of state, uh, I have a little, some, little something that I'd like to talk about here that involves some heads of state. All right. So on January 14th, Ezra Levant of our subject, Rebel, Rebel Media, Rebel News. Rebel News. Was on the Alex Jones show on InfoWars. So lending to his own credibility again, good old Ezra, was, uh, was on the Alex Jones show. And they were talking about the heads of state and they were talking about issues of censorship regarding the censorship of Donald Trump on Twitter. So they go through and they want, they want to talk about some heads of state and how they feel about censorship and, and the likes of social media. So let's just take a little bit, listen, a little listen to a few of these clips here. I'll start off. Interestingly, Alex, and this is a surprise to me, that some of the people fighting back are foreigners. Let me give you an example. Angela Merkel, who's rather left-wing and globalist, she has said she is not comfortable with Silicon Valley being able to censor her. Yeah. So Alex and Ezra are making it seem like Angela Merkel simply does not want censorship on platforms like Twitter. But in reality, this is a mischaracterization of what she is really getting at. So according to a Reuters article I found, Merkel is not pleased with the power that social media giants have in the realm of public discourse. And she believes that regulators need to be doing more to control how these platforms deal with issues of speech. Ultimately, she wants to take the power out of the power of censorship out of the hands of private actors and place it into the hands of law. So another article I found on Reuters describes a little more about the relationship between law and social media in Germany. So the article states, Germany has some of the world's toughest laws on defamation, incitement to commit crimes and threats of violence with prison sentence for Holocaust denial or inciting hatred against minorities. Um, In addition to these tough laws that were passed in January of 2018, uh, Germany also has um, fines up to 50 million euros for items of hate speech that are posted on social media platforms and not removed promptly. So this is completely out of step with how Alex and Ezra would want to address most issues of speech. They claim that the government needs to intervene here, but they spend most of the rest of their lives in their media roles talking about how governments need to stay out of people's business and they should be free to say whatever they want. Their messaging is very inconsistent and hard to follow, which I believe is by design. Both Ezra and Alex make their living off of villainizing governments that they don't care for, so they need to find ways to do so, even if that means they will side with Angela Merkel on an issue they don't agree with her about. (laughs) 
Um, I also want to point out Angela Merkel is not a leftist. She's, she's actually part of the Christian Democratic Union of Germany, which is a center-right party. So just because she's not a stark raving lunatic like Ted Cruz or Donald Trump doesn't mean she's a left-wing politician. They're using the concept of Angela Merkel to try to bring yeah. some reason to their argument, but they're, they're only using her as a person. They're not actually using the idea that she sets, right? Yeah, of, of, of course. Like, I mean, that's kind of normally what that type of media outlet will, will do, right? Like they're, they're going to look for kind of the straw man to kind of look at. Um, it's funny that that's who they I, lead I, with too, because they're, in my opinion, well, that's leading with Angela Merkel in that situation is by design to give credibility to what's to come. Well, of course, because I mean, Angela Merkel is arguably you know, the second leader of the free world. Uh, I, I, so like when Donald Trump was in office, Donald Trump was in office. Well, that's the thing, right? Like during Donald Trump's like first uh, year or so in, in, there was a lot of, there was a lot of talk saying that, you know, Angela Merkel was actually the leader of the free world during that point. Yeah. Um, so she does have a lot of weight. The, the chancellor of Germany still has and holds a lot of, uh, a, a lot of weight uh, in the world. That's right. Yeah, she does. And and, and, so, and plus it's a democracy. So they could easily use, you know, like the Arab Spring, they could use Egypt or they could use Libya or Syria. But I mean, those are autocratic governments. And of course, those governments or even China, right, that, that uses or that censors social media as a norm. Well, that's just a regular day of, uh, you know, regular fact of life there don't you worry because ezra is about to come to the defense of the autocrats and their banning oh, of social media uh here <laughs> that leads really well into my next clip uganda when twitter and facebook started censoring accounts in their political election they just shut it down banned yeah and think about it you have other leaders around the world who have been victims of censorship uganda Uganda. Okay, so let's dig into this one just a little bit deeper, Leonard. Yeah. So according to an article in the New York Post, President Yauri Museveni shut down all social media in the country, claiming that Facebook was taking sides, making the election they were in the middle of an unfair and leaving the leader with no choice. So in a national address, he stated, if you want to take sides against the ruling party, then the group will not operate in Uganda. So he also stated, we cannot tolerate this arrogance of anybody coming to decide for us who is good and who is bad. Although I don't necessarily think Twitter should be the decider of good and bad, I cannot stress enough that Yauri Museveni certainly shouldn't be either. So we're going to go back to 2014. So in 2014, Museveni signed off on the Anti-Homosexuality Act in Uganda, making the already criminal act of being gay now come with a set of much harsher penalties. So I'd like to read the introduction of this bill right now. Get a good idea of who we're really talking about here. All right. So section 1.1, the principle. The object of this bill is to establish a comprehensive consolidated legislation to protect the traditional family by prohibiting one, 
any form of sexual relations between persons of the same sex, and two, the promotion or recognition of such sexual relations in public institutions and in other places through or with the support of any government entity in Uganda or any non-government organization inside or outside of the country. The bill aims at strengthening the nation's capacity to deal with emerging, in, emerging internal and external threats to the traditional heterosexual family. This legislation further recognizes the fact that same-sex attraction is not an innate and immutable characteristic. The bill further aims at providing a comprehensive and enhanced legislation to protect the cherished culture of the people of Uganda, legal, religious, and traditional family values of the people, the people of Uganda against the attempts of sexual rights activists seeking to impose their values of sexual promiscuity on the people of Uganda. There is no need to protect, there is also a need to protect the children and youths of Uganda who were made vulnerable to sexual abuse and deviation as a result of cultural changes, uncensored information technologies, parentless child developmental settings, and increasing attempts by homosexuals to raise children in homosexual relationships through adoption, foster care, and otherwise. Okay, so that is the principle of the bill. Let's see what the um, objectives of the bill were. So section 3.0, objective of the bill. <clears throat> the objectives of the bill are to provi A, provide for marriage in Uganda as that contracted between a man and a woman. B, prohibit and penalize homosexual behavior and related practices in Uganda as they constitute a threat to the traditional family. C, prohibit ratification of any international treaties, conventions, protocols, agreements, and declarations which are contrary or inconsistent with the provisions of this act. And D, prohibit Prohibit the licensing of organizations which promote homosexuality. So the person who passed that bill into law in 2014 uh, is also the one saying that people shouldn't be making decisions for him, which I starkly disagree with. Um, I think everybody should be making decisions on his behalf, and I think he shouldn't be making any decisions, it seems yeah. like. So now, according to the Wikipedia page for the Anti-Homosexuality Act, it was struck down later in 2014 um, by the Uganda courts, citing some needed revisions, but uh, Museveni decided to leave it dead as there was too much international pushback against it. I know that personally, I saw the trailer for a film called God Loves Uganda, which I believe was all about the Anti-Homosexuality Act and the effect that it was having on people already in that short was amount of time. Was it just like a, a propaganda film? Or? No, it was a documentary film kind of in opposition to the act. It wasn't oh, a prop. Okay. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't propaganda. And Got so it. to be clear, like the original, uh, just to be a bit clear on the, what was going on with the act, the original act um, actually had the death penalty uh, without trial for yeah. for people engaged or caught engaged in homosexual behavior and i remember the revised like bill ended up just being life in prison that's it yeah. you know no big deal 
mandatory yeah. minimum uh, 10 year sentence for people promoting homosexuality and life in prison for people engaging in homosexuality. Jeez. You know who would love those laws? Who? Social conservatives. <laughs> yeah. So um, we should go to Uganda. So I don't think his decision on this matter of letting the bill die had anything to do with the lives that he'd be ruining. Um, but only the world's perception of him as a leader. He needed to feed his ego, right? So I think I've proven yeah. my point that Yari uh, Museveni is definitely not the person we should that should be dictating what's right and wrong. Um, but <clears throat> so the New York that New York Post article also states. Facebook on Monday said that it had taken down a network of accounts linked to Uganda's Ministry of Information that quote used fake and duplicate amount duplicate accounts to manage pages, comment on other people's content, impersonate users, reshare posts and groups to make them appear more popular than they were. So basically, the Ministry of Information was putting out propaganda through Facebook. Facebook yeah. was taking it down as per its user agreements. And that's what caused the state to shut down Facebook and all social media uh, <clears throat> in the country. Mm. Oh, but Leonard, did I mention <laughs> that Museveni's biggest opponent is a young 38 year old singer named Bobby wine, who's wildly popular with the youth of Uganda and has been using Facebook as a means for live coverage of his campaign events and press conferences since the state-run media refused to give him any airtime. Uh -huh. Seems about right, since Museveni has sure. been the leader of Uganda since 1986, and I don't think anyone stays in power without a little help from their buddies. Mm -hmm. right? So basically what you have is a situation where a dictator is not giving a political opponent any airtime through state-run media, demanding that they don't, so when that person starts to get a little bit of popularity via Facebook, they shut it down. And Ezra Levant and Alex Jones think this is the right thing to do. Of course they Promoting do. an authoritarian censorship of political opponents. Well, of course they do. And, and, they, and, and of course, there are, their argument is also that the CBC is our state-run media. Yeah, they, they like to use... You know, like those kind of false equivalents there. Yeah. Like just mind-boggling and frustrating to hear. It's really bothersome when I hear Ezra call it the state-run CBC. It is, yeah. It's it, publicly funded. It is not state-run. It's an arm's-length institution. But then they use actual state-run media, like autocratic you know, Ministry of Information media as legitimate forms. It's, it's of an example control. of what they think is right. So, it, like, you know, they, yeah. they say this is the way you should do it. If, if Facebook's messing with you, shut them down like Uganda did. Okay, great. Let's 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 see what Uganda's up to that's doing so well. Yeah. Okay. That, and the big. The, sorry. You go ahead, Leonard. Uh, I was just going to say the big argument that you know the counter argument that goes on with that and i think is the the most valid one is that twitter facebook um all of those social media platforms are private businesses yes uh, and i i completely agree with that so i don't know if you have anything to talk about that well that. we can dig into that a bit more i got a few more clips yeah. i want to play first but i i do think that it is i i i lean towards the merkel merkel's argument where the public 
sphere shouldn't be dictated via private companies. Uh, that's kind of where yeah. I sit. But we'll talk about more of that more a bit after. Yeah. We got some more author- authoritarians to praise here. One, mm-hmm. one moment. We have been victims of censorship. Yair Bolsonaro of Brazil, Facebook, which owns WhatsApp, shut down a lot of his campaigning in his last election. A Bolsonaro. Oh, poor Bolsonaro <laughs> getting shut down. So, <laughs> so this reference dates back to the Brazilian election in 2018. So according to a Reuters article on the subject, WhatsApp was being used for widespread misinformation campaign by uh, Jair Bolsonaro and his team. It seems that the aim of the campaign on WhatsApp was to avoid the misinformation software used to detect and remove posts from unencrypted sites such as Facebook and Twitter. Um, Their tactic was also used to avoid unofficial fact checkers allowing the misinformation to be spread to Bolsonaro's base, uh, base of support um, and get them all riled up. So they basically just wanted to spew a bunch of crap in a way that couldn't be detected by crap filters yeah. and, and get their base riled up. Whatever that's for, you know, that's, that's, that was what their intention was. They wanted to get the base riled up by avoiding these detection softwares and what's whatnot. So they use the WhatsApp, which is encrypted. Yeah. So um, Facebook said that it removed accounts associated with bot-like activity using spam detection technology. So they were just looking at the things, you know, we all talk about the bots on Twitter and stuff there they're giving responses that don't necessarily make any sense or they're just trolling. They're not necessarily controlled by a person, but they're based, they're responding to things based on algorithm or they're just spamming information. Yeah. It's kind of a shitty AI. Yeah. And that's what was happening uh, with the Bolsonaro campaign using WhatsApp. So WhatsApp said that it was taking immediate legal action to stop companies from sending out bulk messages uh, they were including cease and desist letters to the companies in question. So basically, the Bolsonaro campaign was misusing a technology for the purpose of spreading pop- propaganda through WhatsApp, and WhatsApp shut it down. Ezra and Alex don't like it when their authoritarian buddies get shut down, so that's why Bolsonaro no. becomes another example of this censorship. Yikes. Right? Yeah. And we got we got one more to talk about. One more really stand up person that sure. we want to talk about. <laughs> I can't wait. There's <laughs> a world is so filled with stand up people. Oh, and Alex Jones and Ezra Levant love them all. Oh. In India, Narendra Modi, who was a key ally of Donald Trump, he is in an actual war, a, a, a low intensity conflict with the Chinese army high in the Himalayas. So they have banned TikTok and dozens of other Chinese apps. How hard would it be for India to ban Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Google? I mean, it would be hard, but they were doing it. They've done it. By the way, Ezra, let me interrupt you. Okay, so this clip just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yes, India has banned TikTok. It's an idea that at best is controversial as it appears that user information with TikTok is not stored in China and Chinese authorities have no access to it. But nevertheless, India has banned it partially due be- to the tensions between the two countries right now. 
So I, I can understand why it would happen, why it would have a bit of support. I still think that it's a misguided policy, but it really has nothing to do with censorship. You know, TikTok wasn't censoring uh, Narendra Modi. TikTok wasn't doing anything. India decided to remove it because of the conflicts in the region. So right. Ezra's rambling about how Indian, India banned TikTok they could ban other apps too. I just don't understand what he's trying to get at. He spent the last little while talking about how they don't want social media to ban leaders, but if leaders ban social media, that's okay. N nobody gets to use it. What's it, This is problematic to me, right? It, it's yeah. logically inconsistent what they're saying. <clears throat> yeah. I think that comes with the idea, like the, or just the fact that social media is such a new thing. And it's more or less just kind of, it came on the scene and now everybody just has to kind of react to it. And, and this is the, uh, you know, the 17, uh, how actually, how long has it been? Uh, 2007, Facebook. right? Is when Facebook yeah, yeah. Came out. so 14 yeah. years. So 14-ish years uh, is not a long time. And then that gives people so much freedom to say, you know, whatever they want. But the other thing that they forget is that places like India, for example, use Facebook as basically their primary source to get information. So get on the internet, period. Um, in his infinite wisdom, I say in a, with, a, with a little bit of sarcasm there, uh, Zuckerberg decided to uh, basically give India uh, internet access for free. Um, as billions of people, literally free access to the internet with the condition that they got a Facebook account. So, you know, within one swipe, basically, uh, Facebook got billions of users. Um, and now it's used as kind of the information infrastructure. So it's not to, you know, to go against state run media that's already going on in India. Um, so he fails to kind of look at that side of, side of things as well. And the reason why, you know, Modi would want to silence Facebook or any of these autocrats would want to silence Facebook is to counter that information that they're going on. Um, you know, that, that free encrypted information, like through WhatsApp, for example, that, that has gotten a lot of people into trouble with autocratic governments. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the only reason they'd want to ban it. They're saying, I, I mean, I think the process to ban it would be a little harder in India than it would be in a place like Uganda. I don't think that, I think- Well, I just think in India, they wouldn't be, like they wouldn't be able to because the infrastructure just relies on yeah. it. Like it's, it, it actually is kind of ingrained into their communications infrastructure in India. So that goes away. You have, <laughs> you know, people that, no longer have access to communications in rural areas or, or anything. So, you know, the way they're talking, the way they're talking about Narinda Modi in this context seems like a situation that could be advantageous and they've brought up as advantageous to authoritarian types. Mm -hmm. They could potentially, they ban TikTok, they could potentially ban other things. Should they? Well, do you think that if Uganda had their own version of Facebook, 
because that was something something that's been proposed in India is something to replace an, an Indian version of TikTok. Sure. So do you think that if Uganda had their own version of Facebook, do you think that Bobby Wine would ever have been allowed to promote his political campaign on it? I can yeah, tell you the answer to that. The answer is a definite no. He wouldn't have been because the only reason he was on Facebook because the rest of the media, which was state run, uh, refused to give him any airtime. So Alex and Ezra are kind of painting this picture where they're saying like social media can't ban uh, bad leaders, poor leaders, people saying terrible things. They can't censor people for any reason. They're saying that authoritarian types or populist types, right-wing, hard-right types can ban and censor social media platforms and they're doing it disguising their argument as something that Angela Merkel, who thinks that independent legislation should dictate hate speech and and monitor social media in that way. So they're doing it under the guise that Angela Merkel's on their side but she's not. Yeah. Right. And that's where I come. You asked me earlier, where do I stand? It's a very complicated situation. I can't say that I have a hard stance one way or another on anything, but if I'm just looking at this little bit of information that was in front of me, I'm going to have to say that I'm on the side of Merkel. For sure. I'm I'm on the side of Merkel in that I don't think that private companies should have the ability to dictate public discourse. And because a place like Twitter or Facebook has become the center for public discourse in a lot of situations, Mm -hmm. I I think that legislation should be the thing that drives whether or not people are silenced on these platforms. And I know, and and the, the problem again with the argument coming from Ezra and Alex is that I know that they wildly disagree with that. They're advocates of free speech. So they say that people should be able to say whatever they want. No. Right. Yeah. And then you have problems. I don't think like they're the advocates riot. of free speech at all. I think they're the opposite. Uh, but Well, they want free speech when it's their team. Yeah, of course. Right. Yeah. I want anyone who's calling for the death of anyone else to be silenced. I don't care if you're on the left or on the right or whatever. It just so happens. I think one of the sides of the spectrum is calling for more deaths than the other. That's my yeah. opinion. Right. Um, but yeah so so ezra has made uh the argument that some of the worst people in the world should have access to social media essentially unfiltered to continue to be horrible in a way that the masses can be easily exposed to and quite frankly it disgusts me Mm -hmm. ezra is proving why he should not be taken seriously as a media or news figure in this interview with alex jones Oh you yes. know who did you know who disagrees with me on that point? <laughs> who? Alex Jones. <laughs> Let's hear it. Uh, it's the second one. Oh, Ezra, stay there. You're on fire. You're always always on fire, but you're really on fire today, like Godzilla tagging Tokyo. <laughs> uh, yes. Ezra's on fire. Like Godzilla attacking Tokyo. <laughs> yeah, I mean I I kind of chalk it up to this is one of the biggest unintended consequences of this whole thing. I don't think Twitter set out or Facebook set out or 
you know, Instagram or any of those, well, I guess they're all the same now. Um, I don't think any of them, any of those platforms set out to be the oracles of information. Um, I, you know, they were novelties in 2007 and then it just kind of blew up. It became a method of communication between other people without really any holes barred. It became the wild west of, and it just unleashed this gigantic new discussion on what freedom of speech is. Something that was, you know, uh, debated 200 years ago. And now we're reliving it. We're rehashing this, what is free speech? And what can allow free speech? Can a government, you know, what Angela Merkel is talking about is limiting some free speech. Um, government sanctioned limiting of free speech. Or at least maybe with Facebook or these other platforms limiting the speech, they can do it under the guise of their uh, corporate moral code. It's part of the terms and conditions. You agree to post things that only Facebook approves or Twitter approves. And if they don't approve, you get kicked off. You do it when you hit, uh, I approve. I, I got I to gotta disagree with you there, Leonard. Sure. I, I am all for democratically elected lawmakers working together to create laws that keep these places in check as opposed to these private companies being able to censor people at will. I, I 100% agree with Twitter's stance on taking Donald Trump off. It, there was a violent, dangerous situation. It seemed like it was yeah. going to continue to trend in that direction. I agree with it. But again, like it's that whole concept that Twitter didn't aim to become a sphere for public no. discourse, but it did become that. Therefore, as civilized society, we need to react to that. We need Agreed. to react to that via regulation and make sure that we can create an environment where Twitter continues to thrive in ways that it wants to. It continues to make, make money and provide the space for people. But there is a definitive line that needs to be drawn because I could hear people, uh, there'd be arguments on both sides of the aisle. One that would say Donald Trump should have been banned off Twitter two years ago for some of the misinformation and things that he spread, maybe even longer, totally. maybe 10 years ago when he started becoming an Obama truther. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah. Harmful, dangerous conspiracy theories. Yeah. And there's other people who would say that it shouldn't have been done at all. So Twitter as a company is stuck in this situation where they kind of say, we're making this decision now. And, and it, no matter what, you're not going to be pleasing most people. Whereas at least if it's regulated in a government way, there's a defined line. And, and if we don't have a defined line, we make one through court procedures. People challenge the, the law through the courts. That defines a line. And yeah. Twitter is removed from that decision-making process. Right? Yeah, I, I, I agree 100% with that. I think you're right in that there needs to be some type of regulation. But I feel like the regulation has to be on business practices versus actual speech or versus, you know, or delineating the consequences. You know, what, what are consequences of such 
and I guess 50, that's what 50 million euro fine. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Million. Yeah, but, I mean that's you know, that's what she's doing. This concept of free speech it doesn't exist in Canada. Canada's got laws against hate speech. Oh, so sure. We could define what could be acceptable and what's not on Twitter based on precedent that's been set, legal precedent that's been set in Canada already. I think it would actually be fairly simple. Yeah. You say this, this is removed from Canadian Twitter. If not, here's your here's your penalty. Yeah. Right. It, it's it, it, it's pretty simple. And if there ever comes a situation where it's Twitter maybe removed something that people thought shouldn't have fallen under the Canadian law, they can challenge it in court. Totally. And that could continue to set precedent. Where is that line? And over years, that line gets more well-defined. And it's a slow process, but that's how legislation works because you yeah. want it to work for the most amount of people. So you can't make snap decisions. You need to, you need to let it kind of unfold on, over time, right? Yeah, and I think, that's, I think this is going to be one of the big issues of our time, you know, at, least, at least for this decade, um, trying to figure out a path forward from, you know, from this, from the fallout of the last four years. I think the last four years, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I think the last four years really highlighted, you know, the, the idea that there needs to be some kind of control or there needs to be some kind of, at least a look under the hood about what to do. And because this stuff isn't going away. Facebook isn't going away. Twitter isn't going away these things are now solidified in our life. Um, so just like anything, now we need to learn to live with it. It's going to take some very smart people to figure out how to fix this. And you know who's yeah. a very smart person? Who's that? Let me tell you. But they were doing it. They've done By it. By the way, Ezra, let me interrupt so, you. Uh, that's why I got you on because you're so smart. I was <laughs> hey he's the smart that's why he created rebel news right Ezra's a smart guy apparently Other side I mean, of the story I disagree with that, but <laughs> yikes okay yeah i don't think the uh, i don't think the debate on this is going away anytime soon i think we'll be revisiting this uh in the future i think i agree yeah so the other big thing that happened this week is uh conservative MP Derek Sloan got kicked out of uh, caucus. Uh, Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole found out that he was getting uh, donations from, or a donation from a white supremacist, a known white supremacist, Peter Frum. Not white Uh, supremacist in the sense that we don't like you, therefore you're racist kind of thing. That seems to be a trend, or at least that conservatives identify as a trend. A real white supremacist. Yeah, like a true blue... <laughs> An out neo-Nazi, yes. Absolutely. Um, and, and the scandal of it is that he donated a small amount and under his full legal name. And this was picked up by the regular news from CBC and is actually broken by uh, Press Progress, which is really the uh, answer to Rebel News. So it's kind of the left side of rebel news um and this caused caused kind of big controversy um derek sloan is a very well-known white supremacist i didn't know much about him uh, but nick you educated me on him 
which was very nice of you. He's a social conservative. He's a bad dude. He doesn't like abortions. He doesn't like people having freedom. He doesn't like gay people. Like he's, he's a textbook, really bad social conservative that likes to hang out with Nazis. Yeah. And get money from them, even though it's like $136. Like it was very, a low, a very low amount. It was a private donorship, not on behalf of an organization, just on an individual basis. But Rebel News isn't concentrating on that. It, they're not concentrating on white supremacy, white supremacy in parliament, uh, the fact that white supremacists are being able to go unnoticed. So the only reason why this came, became noticed was from press progress. Otherwise, O'Toole would have never known. And that's an entirely different topic. Uh, you know, if O'Toole is just grandstanding or if he's actually gives a shit and is actually uh, cleaning house. But anyway, Sheila Gunn Reed, who is a, another cast of the characters in, in Rebel News, is basically now throwing in the towel. She's quit on the conservatives because of this. Aaron O'Toole is weak. Uh, if we kick out white supremacists, what's going to happen next? But I, I think she says it better. The conservatives are going to lose anyway. They're going to lose. They're probably going to drop 20 seats. Yeah. Maybe now's the time to burn that party to the ground and start fresh. It took an absolute conservative smashing for us to get Stephen Harper uh, and the reform to sort of take over the old PCs and it became something new. And maybe that like the left doesn't seem to mind yeah. when their party gets corrupted. But as conservatives, we burn it all down about once every decade and a half. It happens in Alberta with the Wild Rose and the reform, especially here in Alberta. We get really sick of corruption and we get angry when our conservative politicians aren't conservative enough. So maybe that's exactly what needs to happen to the federal party, because what's the difference? You're going to have Justin Trudeau in power anyway. You may as well be fixing what's broke right now. And it's that positive attitude that drives the movement forward. <laughs> you know, I Let's agree. <laughs> I agree. Burn the conservative party down. Sure. <laughs> like, yeah, you, you lead the charge there, Sheila. Yeah. <laughs> like, all, like all of a sudden, now let's just burn it down. Uh, it, it's just it's mind-boggling. Like, it's interesting her interpretation of reality. So what she's saying is that they... Every, every decade, they, they burn it down and start new. And that, that's just not true. What she's referencing with Wild Rose and reform and conservatism in Alberta is that they needed to start consolidating power because what happened was you had a bunch of parties on the right splitting the votes so that it opened up more opportunities for the left. And that's what actually happened in 2015 when the NDP party led by Rachel Notley got into power, they did get a good amount of votes and they did have the support. And, and I think they did a really good job of governing, mm -hmm. but the only reason they won is because there was so much splitting between the con progressive conservative party and the wild rose, which was, an extremely conservative party yeah. with a lot of social conservatives in it. 
so they 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 band together and that's how they won and that's the same thing that happened federally you had the red tories and the blue tories so the red being a bit more progressive than the blue and the blue being more socially conservative they they didn't re, they didn't burn down conservative parties they started a, a combined conservative party because there was no chance of them winning anything if they didn't do so and even still canadian federal elections have about 70% of the vote goes to the left. Mm-hmm. But the problem is there's currently three or four, if you include the Bloc, the Bloc Quebecois, there's four parties on the left taking the votes away. And that's the only reason the Conservatives would ever have a hope in hell of winning. Yeah. And I, I think that's one, one of the kind of the flaws in the Canadian system is that there doesn't seem to be any room for coalitions. I mean, if, the, if, if there was a left coalition, I think there would be no question about, you know, who would be taking over. Um, so Sheila Gunn Reed wants to throw in the towel, wants to burn it all down. She wants to just get O'Toole out. Let's get another social conservative in and, and then we'll win. Then we'll win. Does that mean Trudeau is going to win anyway, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, might as well rebuild because <laughs> she's implying that what what is she implying that it's rigged anyway is that what she's implying well, she's she's i think she's implying that people are going to vote liberal anyway because really who's going to vote other than maybe people who are 60 plus they're going to really vote, vote liberal because the conservative party is not conservative enough is that what she's saying i think so i, th- I think that's what it is they're not conservative enough or it makes total or sense that they don't they're not white supremacist enough <laughs> i don't know i don't know what they're, like, you know people are going to vote liberal because the conservatives just too, care too much about white supremacists and this right. is the problem yeah you know who needs yeah. social services and who needs you know good governance the funny thing is is that the thing that enrages enrages sheila in this situation is the thing that makes me go Good job, Aaron O'Toole. You've finally done something that I agree with. Right? <laughs> Almost everything else Aaron O'Toole has done, I'm like, what is this maniac up to? And then he sniffs out a white supremacist and kicks the guy out of caucus. He it's doesn't sniff out a white supremacist. That's no, the thing. He doesn't. But, okay, he doesn't sniff it out, but he reacts to the news coming in. So yeah. he might have been... Um, being a blind fool beforehand, okay, I, I don't give him credit for that. What I do give him some credit for is responding to the situation and knowing that it was problematic. That's right. right? That's fair. They, they uh, should have been vetting things closer to begin with and say, oh, wait a second, <laughs> white supremacists donating to the party, get it out of here. Yeah. They should have been responding to that. They have the ability to do that. Um, I mean, so I, I can see how it was missed. Uh, I mean, the, it was, the guy used a different name. It was an individual donation of a small amount. Uh, I could see how it could be missed. And I can see why now there needs to be uh, scrutiny on donations, even private donations, because you just never know who's going to kind of slip through the cracks that way. But Sheila yeah. gunn Reed has something kind of different in mind. Well, she doesn't like accountability, I don't think. She, mm. she, wants, she wants something else. Let, let's, let's see what she says. 
know what the left is doing right now, thanks to Aaron O'Toole setting this very ridiculous standard for donations. The left right now is going through every donation that they can get from Elections Canada and seeing if there are extremist names associated with it. Because now, even for these teeny tiny amount voters, Aaron O'Toole has made the standard that to accept that money that you didn't even know you were getting through an automated system that accepts the donations, you now are responsible for all the views of that donor, good or bad. Yeah, I agree. You are you are responsible. You should be responsible. Yeah. <laughs> you ought to be responsible because let me tell you, white supremacists don't vote for you unless you're saying the things they want to hear. Or not vote for you. Sorry, they don't donate to your political yeah. party unless you're saying the things that they want to hear. So it is very important that they understand who is donating to them because it matters. Yeah. And this, I think, speaks to why Rebel News is not a news network is because of that kind of stuff. You know, She's when, saying accountability when doesn't matter. It's another tick in the mark of... Well, it's another tick in the box of authoritarians. Rebel for authoritarian. Any reputable news source would kind of see this as a way of reporting a loophole in the system. And it would highlight the need for the reforms in private donation to, po to political parties. Um, yeah, the need yeah. for parties to be vetting who's giving them money. This isn't like the U.S., where there's just millions and millions and millions of dollars flowing through. You know, there's strict limits on how much Canadians can give. Uh, there's tax breaks for giving. There, it, it's there's a, a system that could be there that can be tracked. Who's donating to you and why? You can easily have people looking out for alerts. Yeah. For people like this if press progress like if they're finding this information out it must not have been that hard to find not to say they're not you know good investigative journalists but the information was there in in plain view it just needed to be found yeah so yeah. obviously the sloan campaign could have easily found that themselves and they probably knew about it let's be honest yeah right? I, I could get behind that I mean, if I'm running for any kind of office, I'm going to want to know who's giving me money. Yeah. Whose line am I towing? And, and Derek Sloan being the person that he is, I'm not going to say he's necessarily good buddies with this guy, but I wouldn't be surprised if they've ran in the same circles at points in time. It wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, even if he didn't know him personally, because of his stat, like his stature in the community, is that even a community? I don't know. Because of his stature in the white supremacist world, it would be pretty hard not to know who he is. Yeah. And even if you know, even if you know of him, and you see his name, or find out that he used a different name, I would be on social media, or I would be uh, sending out. Uh, a media memo, you know, disavowing this donation. 
and maybe giving the money back if he can. Yeah. Just to make a point that this is not what I want. But clearly, he doesn't care. He, he'll take the money. He'll take the money, he'll laugh all the way to the bank, and then he'll cry all the way to his bedroom when the bank tells him, we don't want your dirty money anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it'll work. Those will be oh. the series of events. He'll denounce racism. He'll say it's bad. He'll continue to be the shitty person that he is. And, and that's going to be the cycle of life. It's the cycle. I hope not. I really hope politics. that this is, you know, the decade where some, some good change can happen. And I, I really do like the one thing I watched watching the Biden inauguration and listening to his address. And, I, you know, among my many nerdery things, um, communications and speeches and oratory is, is one of those things that's really important. Um, and his speech, I felt hopeful. It was very nice. It was a very nice feeling for a day, for a 24-hour period to be like, okay, I think we're going to be on the right track. But then again, within you know 24 hours, I was watching Rebel News again, getting ready for this podcast. And I was right back in it. So, <laughs> yeah, watching, <laughs> you know, paying paying close attention. I've always had my my ear open to the world of fake news and conspiracy theories and stuff like this. And I've always kind of listened and paid attention. And it's been part of my life for well over a decade. But taking a deeper dive into it, you know, I spent I spent hours on just preparing information and debunking those minute and a half worth of clips that I played yeah. in this episode. And it's it's hard because there's just so much ignorance that's spewed and so much false information that's spewed out by these people. It's overwhelming and it can be consuming. And and I I get frustrated doing it, but I think that it's work that needs to be done and that's why we're here. Uh you know, absolutely. I agree. It's uh it's not easy on the psyche. It's not it's it's frustrating. To listen to but i mean this is the outlet of that this is it, ser it serves you know. the greater good yeah i think you got to um and on that note we should start our preparations for next week's episode <laughs> yeah we got i oh, got some work to do i'm sure next week will be probably equally as eventful never a dull week in the world oh, of crazies well thanks for listening guys all right. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you in a week. Talk to you next week.